Our Friday panel are with us in studio to discuss the uh, some of the issues of, of relevance and um, that have been topical in the past uh, few days, both uh, nationally and uh, locally. And with us in studio are uh, Paula Gilvary, who is former president of the Irish Medical Organisation, retired public health doctor, public health GP, and uh, Sinn Féin Deputy Martin Kenny. Uh, the party spokesperson on justice. Good morning to you both, morning, uh, and, and thanks for joining us. Thank and of course, uh, much of the political focus this week has been on uh, Martin Kenny, your own party's uh, motion on the eviction ban and yeah. whether it should be extended or not. Political posturing. I heard more than one yeah, person yeah. accusing you of. Well, look, I mean, for the thousands of people out there who have an eviction notice, it's not posture and it's a real problem that they're facing in their lives. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're probably fortunate in this part of the country. I, I know in, in I've spoken yeah. to the local authorities both in Sligo and Leitrim about the situation. And while there are probably a couple of dozen at least people in each county that would be facing eviction notice over the coming months, uh, it's not near as bad as it would be in the large urban centres, Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick. That's where the real problems are. But it, yeah. but it is also everywhere. And, you know, any anyone out there who has a situation where uh, a house that they've lived in for a considerable period of time and the, the landlord wants to sell it and have given them an eviction notice and they have to go the difficulty is finding anywhere uh, finding anywhere at all but finding anywhere they can afford uh, is, is is a huge problem and sometimes it may be a huge upheaval in their lives because they might have to move to a different town they might have to yeah. you know take children out of school all of those things and the local authorities are doing their best um, I've spoken to them around the, the, the numbers that they've got on the lists and all of that and what their plans are and I know in Sligo there's, there's approximately the 100 houses going to be provided by the local authority this year, new houses, some of them are being provided by a developer that they're buying them off some of them are building them themselves and you know, some of them, a lot of them are in Sligo Town but a lot of them are in other towns around as well so you know, there is there is progress been made but it's yeah. it's just not going to fit the demand and that's the problem But it was, only, it was only brought in as a temporary measure yeah. because of the Covid situation so why, why should we go back to something that was never there before if you see what I mean? Oh absolutely and, and the reason to bring it in over that period of time was to uh, put measures in place so that the day you took it away that you'd have additional capacity there and yeah. the problem is that that wasn't done and hasn't been done anywhere and uh, that that's the real problem. The government is talking about you know this thing where they can buy the houses that people are going to be uh, potentially evicted from and the local authority can go in and buy them. First of all, there's a whole lot of provisions on that. They have to be entitled to social housing, the house has to be affordable, the house has to be the right size for the family that's in it, yeah. you know, the house has to be in good condition. There's, there's a whole wide range of reasons why they won't buy it. So, so, you know, it, it is yeah. going to be a difficult one to try and, and, and fit this And, the, and, and the, the reasons uh, that, that um, particularly Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil politicians have given for the ending of the ban and what Leo Varadkar said is that it will not help the homeless situation of more landlords exiting the market. Do you, do you buy into that or do you see where well, look, Leo Varadkar has been the, coming The truth from? is for the last 10 years there's been a lot of landlords exiting the market but particularly in the last 3 or 4 or 5 years because the property prices have got very high and I've spoken to a lot of these landlords. You know, they're, they're ordinary people that live in the yeah. community with us and they're people who bought a house maybe in the boom at a very high price for most of the time the house was a negative equity now there's a very good price to be got for that house and they're cashing in on it. And it has nothing got to do with either eviction bans or taxes or anything else. It's, it's just simply about, you know, being the right time for them to get out and that's what an awful lot of people are doing. Alright, I'm sure you've been following this story, Paula. Are you in favour of the eviction ban or it not? It should never have gone as far as an eviction ban. Um, it should have been sorted before that. Um, I think our government has dragged its heels for years on, on the planning issue. laws, on the dependence on private landlords, especially uh, the very large landlords that are cashing in 
and putting up prices. Uh, we have the highest rent in Europe and a month lot of the apartments that people might move into aren't fit for purpose. And also our local authorities, which are doing fantastic work and who in the 30s and 40s built Tracy Avenue and all those places. Yeah. And in the 70s, they built Cranmore. But now they are so hogtied by about four different levels of um, bureaucracy that to build a house, to start building a house now, it'll take them about three years to even get to approval to build it. Mm. So all of those things, the government has dragged us heels totally. It hasn't been thinking forward enough. I know that we have had a, a world situation which has affected every country, but we're a small country, we're a bright country, we're a talented country. Why the hell can't we do things a bit faster? Yeah, so the, uh, there's a wider issue, quite obviously, you're saying, than just the eviction ban. Will the eviction ban being lifted, will it help matters at all in any shape or form, even in a small way? I, I think that it's horrible to think that people are becoming homeless. But it was a measure that was brought in at a time of emergency yeah. and a time of maybe of panic. I mean, none of us knew what to do during the pandemic. And now I think it has made a bigger problem. Um, so eviction or no eviction, um, it should never have got to that. And there should never have been any homelessness anyway. So that's all I'm saying. All right, OK. Of course, the, the, the motion fell ultimately because of the support of a number of regional independent TDs, uh, Martin Kenny. But they got yeah. some concessions, yeah. uh, five concessions in all. Um, Again, what are your thoughts no, I mean, on that? Look, the, the measures that the government are talking about now are measures that they should have done before they were in the eviction ban. Yeah. Probably, as, as Paula says, a couple of years ago, they should have been bringing in these measures for like, like emergency planning about, you know, building houses very fast, you know, about uh, utilising properties that are that are vacant, that are owned by the public. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole range of things that they could have been doing for a long time. It's, it's not just something that they need to be doing now that they've come to the end of the eviction ban. These are measures that should have happened a long, long time ago. And I think the problem still is that for people out there who have got nowhere to go, who are going to or facing eviction, who will probably end up in so many cases overstaying in the house, who will have to try and negotiate with the landlord to see can they stay a bit longer until they find somewhere else. And, you know, they may be able to do that in some cases, but some they won't. And in some people they're going to be put out and they will have nowhere to go. And yeah. that, that is a huge problem, particularly in the large numbers that we get. There's three, over 3,000 notices fallen due in the month of April. And that's not just uh, individual people. That's In some cases, that's the families. That's okay. So you could have maybe eight to 10,000 people in that situation. But you, you wouldn't... And there is, a, and not all of them, but there is a large proportion of them that will have no option as to where they're going to go. Would you, would you be critical? Have no emergency services. You wouldn't be critical, would you, of of the independent TDs for uh, doing the deal they did with the government to get the. The well, they, done, they, they done the they done the deal they did for to get for to try and, and and to get their votes and I suppose they're they're in a fortunate position to be able to wield some little bit of power you know yep. that happens occasionally not very often but it does happen occasionally but really it it shows that the government are are really scratching the barrel for to find a plan when at the end of the day they're dependent on a handful of independents for to come up with a plan for them rather than having a plan themselves for the last number of years. Okay, well leading on from that, uh, I'm sure you're aware, uh, Paula, there's a vote of no confidence in the government. Yes. Next week. Does does that serve any purpose at all or uh, ought there to be a vote of no confidence in the government? Well, Or have you any confidence in the government? Um, put it this way. I, I won't put a tooth in it as my husband would say about me. Um, the government have been, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been in power for a long time. 
Okay. Yeah. And they have done some good things, and they have done, they have omitted to do a lot of things. Put it that way. And I think that maybe they should be blue and well left to sort this out, because they are. It, I, I don't know whether putting in a new government. I'm sorry, Martin, but putting in a new government at this stage would actually work in a crisis. Mm. And I remember when I was a public and we're health in a crisis, doctor. as yeah, you we're say. We're in a huge crisis. I remember. I remember as a public health doctor, um, we proposed in about two thousand and six that there would be um, that health would be taken out of government and put into a situation where it was administered by the whole government, and that there was no uh, jockeying around yeah. politics. Mm-hmm. Because in public health, if you want a policy to succeed, you need fifteen years to see whether it's working or not because that is to make changes in, in people's behaviour. Yeah. Five years, if a government isn't in, in for five years and then the whole thing changes, yeah. it's not long enough. So, I don't know, maybe we need to be looking at other well, options. What, what maybe we need a different government. What happened to that proposal but it was never oh, taken on? Not, not at all. Okay. But sure, I mean, nobody was going to listen to a change in, in, in government. I mean, it made, it made a lot of sense that health, health should not be debated. Yeah. Health should be agreed and social services should be agreed. And they just keep going uh, with a, an agreed policy between all members in the government. Well, well, just staying... St- of that, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. the slosher care measures were brought in, but I mean, uh, there was huge resistance, mainly from, from the HSE, but also from, from certain elements of government as well, that yeah. just didn't want any change. And, yeah. and that well, is the problem. The problem. We, yeah. we, we, need, we need radical change, you know, and I know yeah. radical, sometimes people think of reckless, but we're not talking about being reckless, we're talking about being doing things in a competent way that works for people and that delivers for people. And okay. we need to do that in well, housing, well, we need to do that in health, we need to do that in a whole range of things. Well, areas. just on that, because I'm listening, sorry, I'm listening back to what you said in the Dáil yesterday reported on our news this morning, uh, Martin Ken, you, you said that, that Sligo University Hospital has been in crisis mode for a number of years because mm-hmm. of uh, underinvestment and staffing issues. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's more than just the emergency department. You know, it's it's in in many areas of it, and a lot of that is down to the fact that we, for, for the population, for the the age of our population, for the 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 many people with various conditions and 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 ailments that are coming to the hospital, there simply isn't enough staff there. There isn't enough capacity. There isn't the availability of diagnostic services. It's a nine to five service, as well as a twenty four seven hospital. Yeah. You know, and 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 the, there just needs to be a grip got on all of this, and and recognise that you know, as a society, a very wealthy society, we have an obligation for to provide a proper health service for all of our people. And it should be at the point of need, rather than people having to have health insurance. And even when they do have that, they still can't get a service in many cases. So they pay taxes all their lives. And then yeah. when they have a crisis, they have to take out the checkbook and pay for it. And they still don't get a service. So, I mean, you know, our, our health system is, is, is really in crisis. And, and I think Pink Paula would concur with me on that. We, yeah. we really need yeah. to, to, to recognise that it is in crisis. And the minister yesterday in statement was statements about about um, uh, service provision and about about staffing in our hospitals and our, our health service. And he tried to tell us that, you know, there's more people than ever working in the health service and that yeah. somehow or other that means everything is okay. Like the experience of not just the people that work in the service but the people who need the service is a very negative experience and that needs to be acknowledged. Okay, well, as, as you said and as I said in the introduction, Paula, you were president of the Irish Medical Organisation well, over 10 years ago now, I think, wasn't it? 17 years 17 ago. 17 years ago. And you're saying the health system is actually worse now it is, yeah. than it was yeah, then. Yeah, it is much worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even going to try and come up with solutions for it, except that with the uh, 
always there has been top-heavy management and there have been too many layers of management. Yeah. And I went in maybe five years ago to uh, my colleagues. We had a little choir in Markovich House when I was working there and we had a bit of a reunion and I said, well, how are things? Who are you reporting to now? And they all fell around the place laughing. They had no idea who they were reporting to because in at that time, the... Yeah. Uh, what you call it, the management structure had changed and they were being split up. One half of their job was going one way, one half of their job was going another way. Now tell me that that's sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the whole thing needs to be reviewed again. And when my father was uh, an RMS in Castlebar uh, many, many years ago, he was on the board of the health board. Yeah. And they abolished the health boards and I think they really need to bring them back. Even though it, they were <laughs> laden with criticism. Of years yeah. And, yeah. And we met in Manor Hamilton and yeah. in fairness, yeah. th- there was people sitting around the table that made decisions mm-hmm. and that decided things and they happened. Yeah. And that's the problem in the HSC. Nobody wants to decide anything. No, 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 no. It goes, it goes <laughs> through 22 health- layers. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I work in the healthcare services. The government has been in for too long. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael I'm talking about. That echoes, I suppose, what, what, what Paula said there a moment ago. Independent TDs, politicians have let us down. They certainly have not represented their constituents in what has happened in the past few days. A lot of the government is made up of landlords themselves and they're hardly going to vote against themselves, says this person. And uh, we hadn't planned to talk about this, but... Uh, people want to know if you've got any views as a panel on capping the number of refugees coming into our country. Should there be a cap on numbers? Anybody got thoughts on that? Ireland, like most other countries in in Europe and around the globe, have signed up as part of the United Nations in respect of how we deal with conflict situations. And under those circumstances, we don't have an option because we've signed up to that. If people come here seeking international protection from a war zone or because of human rights violations in the country they live in, we have an obligation for to take those people and for to look after them. And, you know, we're, we're a gener- generous nation and we're doing that with, with absolute generosity. And I, I think the vast majority of Irish people recognise that. Just like so many of our own people went to every corner of the world with their hand out looking for a welcome and in fairness in most places they got yeah. it. That generosity hasn't wavered, you think, has it over the past uh, no, few months? I mean, there is, there is, there is, and uh, what I would describe it as is competition for scarce resources. And we talk yeah. about the health service, we talk about housing, and that competition exists before anybody came from Ukraine or anywhere else. Yes. <laughs> you know, and and the fact that more people are coming, particularly in a town or in an area where there may be stress already on service, of course, they see that as additional competition, and and that means that we need additional services. But there's also opportunities in that. There's people coming from many of these countries that come with skills that we need that are able to work in this country, that want to contribute, that want to be part of our society and who will be a huge advantage to our society in the future. I have met Hola. lots of, I mean, I, I worked in Globe House uh, yeah, before did, I retired yeah. and I was medical officer there and so I would have got to know an awful lot of the asylum seekers and um, they all wanted to work, they all wanted to um, help their families, they wanted to assimilate into society. So they were well-intentioned, well-meaning for the well most part. They were well-intentioned, yes. And then uh, since COVID, I have been involved with Ukrainians. And overall, I think that the people who have come into this country uh, overall are well-meaning people. The Ukrainians don't want to be here. They want to be at home. But the skills, the values that they have brought into this country um, are only going to do us good. And I have the huge admiration for them, as well as I do for the other asylum seekers who have gone through hell to get here. Nobody comes here without a journey. And they are the ones who survive, the ones who aren't strong enough to leave their countries die. 
Yeah, and, and that was at its starkest. There was a, an event at the Peace Park in Sligo, one of many across the northwest, to to mark the first anniversary of the Russian invasion. And it's only when you hear the personal stories, as you say, mm. of those who were lucky enough to make it, because mm. many of their colleagues didn't make it, and their friends. Uh, and I'm sure the last place to be wanted, despite the, the help and assistance and, and generosity they received, I don't think anybody thought they would be standing in a peace park on a rainy day no. with their I, kids. I have, I have quite a few friends. Thousands of miles from home. There's a couple who um, had their own apartment. They had a wonderful lifestyle in Odessa. They went on water sports on the um, the Black Sea. Um, they worked very hard. Both of them qualified and now they're living in an apartment with three other people. Very glad to have it. But the change in their circumstances is enormous. Yeah. They hugely miss. Odessa is a big city, very sophisticated. They miss their opera. They miss their theatre. They miss everything. Um, they were just like us. Yeah, and, and as, as Martin has pointed out, that we have obligations and it is what it is. But do, do you, get, uh, being involved in dealing with them, do you get the sense that our understanding and generosity and kindness maybe has, has waned somewhat because of what Martin talks about, that that's competition for scarcity of resources? Of course. I mean, people, everybody is looking at it from their own point of view. Okay. And I'm lucky that I own my own house. If I didn't own my own house and I was on a housing list, I'd be looking and saying, well, why are they getting there first? But the issue is that we are in the UN, we are in the EU, we have our obligations. And Michael D said, I don't know how many weeks ago now, he says, there cannot be any borders anymore. I mean, that is the state the world is in. 0719118104 is our number to call this morning. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp now to 083 530 uh, right, lots of texts coming in, which I'll get to in, in a moment. It's it's a very local issue, I know, but it cropped up during the week again about public toilets, uh, in this case in Sligo, and lack of public toilets. It, it, I, I don't suppose you're getting many calls about public toilets, Martin Kenny uh, is a TD. It's something we'll be getting a lot of calls about, I have to say, but um, the, 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 other, the other side of it is that, you know, I, I do understand, particularly um, for tourists and that, you know, that it, it, is, it is a service I think we need to have provided. Uh, if you go to a lot of countries in Europe, you'll find public toilets or something that are in them, and they always have to have a caretaker to make sure that they're kept yeah. right, and that's a job for somebody. And in, I remember in one city in Europe I was in, there was a set of public toilets there, and the person that looked after them, you know, took great pride in making sure everything was clean and fresh and perfect at all times and, and I think that's that's the kind of, of model that, that needs to be developed because if you don't have a person who looks after it, you know it, it does become a mess and that that's part of the problem I think that you know on, at the moment it will be something under the auspices of the local authority would have to provide and it's 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 difficult to, to, to find uh, the money for all of these, these things but I think yeah. it is something, particularly a tourist town like Sligo that would have, you know, uh, a lot of coach tours coming to it and that sort of thing, is something that needs to be considered. Uh, now, a lot of people will use hotels, a lot of people will use other facilities that we'll have in the towns and that as well and are very welcome to do so. I mean, I'm sure the patrons of those places will be delighted to see more customers yeah. coming in as well. So, you know, it's I think it's something we need to find balance on but it's certainly something that needs to be considered. Uh, Paul, public toilets uh, in, in any town, are they important? Are they an absolute necessary facility? Do people use public toilets? Or well, Of course people use public toilets. At my age, I know where every toilet in Sligo is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> and there are loads of there are loads of toilets. And Damien, who does the the eight stores, um, yeah. usually with small groups, um, he would know where every toilet is, and he would he would acknowledge uh, pubs like uh, Hargadens and Connollys who would use let him uh, bring his bring yeah. his uh, people in. Um, yes, I think there should be a public toilet. But what Martin said is that it's it's very expensive. Yeah. Um, you have well, first of all, there was a fit for purpose toilet unit built, and Sligo Corporation had it for years, but they couldn't find anywhere to put it. Yeah, it's, and it's, it was be, it was being paid for, it, but it, it was, never it, found it's, a home. It's still being paid for. It's in storage, believe it or not, at the moment. And oh, we well. we were we were given figures during the week of how much is costing to keep it in storage, which is mind-boggling to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, they there were, are lots. They were spending there more than a penny anyway. I can tell you that. On yeah. It. There's um, there's a website called I think it's p.ie or no p.ie which a guy set up during COVID because he was so frustrated and not being able to find a loo when during lockdown, and yeah. you can actually go onto it and find out where the loos are. So there are four named in Sligo, um, one out on the Bundoran Road, um, one in town, uh, one yeah. over near the riverside. Uh, but and, and another one. What a good idea. P.ie. P.ie or no p.ie. I can't remember. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, and, and you mentioned a pandemic and, I, and I, we, I just might refer to the p- pandemic for a moment because I was listening to... Um, oh, his name escapes me. The guy who's always on television. Um, the expert on... Oh, his name escapes me. Luke. Tony Ho- oh, Luke. 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 Luke, what's his name? Luke O'Neill. Luke O'Neill, Luke O'Neill yeah. Luke O'Neill, O'Neill, I was listening yeah, to him yeah. a, a yes. week ago and he says that the pandemic is now officially not... A pandemic, and we're out of it. I don't know scientifically if we are or not, but has society changed hugely? Do you think, not just from a scientific medical point of view? I, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's what I felt was that society reflected a lot on itself and recognised some of the things that were very, very important and some of the things that were not important. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that are in uh, very well-paid jobs and are doing stuff that we discovered isn't near as necessary as the person that collects the bins and the person that brings the food to the shop and the person that, you know, is is, is uh, assisting with home help or with all... You know, the, those, yeah. those those things in, in the caring professions, those things things in, uh, in in providing the basics that we need for life are the real important things. And, you know, I think we discovered that that's the case. And we also, I think, as a society, reflected a little bit on what's important to ourselves as well. Yeah. And, you know, that, that nature and that uh, having a little bit of solitude, sometimes it's no harm. But um, that said, I think we're glad we're the other side of it and that we're trying to create some kind of new normal and that we're moving forward. But, uh, you know, we, we, we still have, I think, a legacy left from COVID that we won't forget for a very long time because mm. an awful lot of people unfortunately you know lost their lives and lost yeah. family members prematurely because of it too and we have to you know reflect on that also um, From your medical point of view are, are we out of the pandemic officially? Well, officially we are because it's are not we? become what they call endemic which means it's like the flu or the common cold or everything The, the end of the pandemic as it were yeah. Well endemic means that it's it's kind of there yeah. and it, it, you get a cold and you shake off the cold Yeah um, that doesn't mean that it's any less dangerous for susceptible people. And that doesn't mean that people shouldn't continue to get their vaccinations. And I think in September we'll be all be lining up for COVID and flu. You I, think so? I'll be first in the queue anyway. Will you? I would, of course. Because the, yeah. the numbers going for vaccinations have gone way down, as we know. They have. Well, I mean, people are busy. They're, they're, they've gone back to living their lives. I mean, you forget very quickly, oh, unless yeah. you very, have been very hugely affected by yeah. COVID. I mean, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was horrendous. 
um, being at home and not being able to do anything and being in, a, it was like an open prison. You didn't know when your sentence was ending. I think that was the worst thing. But, uh, no, people forget. Look at the number of people who don't wear masks now on public transport. Yeah. We caught COVID on the bus coming back from a holiday. <laughs> well, we were merry masks, but we still got it. Um, so it's it's still around. Yeah. And and the wonder question then, do you, do you sense, well, as you said, nobody will ever forget it, but have we changed as a society? I think it has had an immeasurable effect on all aspects of society and will continue to have. Well, I think we're more grateful. Yeah. Uh, which is no harm. And also, I mean, my personal experience would be that working from home for my, I see my immediate family and uh, outside of that, working from home has revolutionised young people's lives. The option to work from home or the option to, to even work a day or two at home has revolutionised their lives. And I'm really looking forward to when people get around to the four day week. I think oh. that will be incredible because people if you have four days a week you will do in four what you would have stretched to five so you're all in favour of the four day week if you were an employer would you be in in favour of four day week it would depend if I if I was a proper employer if I was a person employer who looked after my employees and motivated them I'd be delighted for a four day week because I will get much more out of them and I don't mean that badly. I mean yeah. that they will be more willing to work. Look forward to three days off. Four you, days. I mean, I when I was working part-time, I worked uh, part-time for a year. I did three days one week and two days the next. So I did as much work as if I was doing five days. I just happened to be only paid for half-time. You'd love a four-day week, Martin Kenny, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, seven-day week most of the time. But yeah. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I know people are critical of, of politicians, but uh, it, yeah. it's, it's rare that any of you would get a, a day off. It is, yeah. But look, I mean, you, you, you take time for yourself and everyone needs to do that. But I, I agree, you know, as a society, and, and this is something we need to, I suppose, think about, is that, you know, if you think about the economic output that we have, we'll say 50 years ago compared to today, the labour input into that was probably a quite quadruple, maybe 10 times yeah. what it was back then to what it is now, because automation has taken over, you know, yeah. and, and, and so much technology is in place now, which means that the economic input has output has actually grown, but the Labour Party did more or less yeah. the same or much less, and yet we collect most of our taxes still on Labour. So you need there needs to be a, a, a rebalance on all of that, and that's one of the big challenges that we have, you know, and that you get into corporation tax and you get into all of those yeah. things when you talk about that. But, you know, as a society, you know, we do need to look at how, at how we can provide for people better. There are certain jobs that you will never be able to automate and that we will always need people for, particularly, as I said earlier, the care and profession and all of that. And indeed, going back to the, the, the people coming from abroad, if we went to our hospitals and we took all the people that are from other countries out of them, we'd have very few left in them for to do anything. That's for sure, yeah. And that's that, that, that's a reality as well, you know. Yeah. But I, I do think it's something that, that has to be considered. And I, I know there's there's uh, both employers groups and trade union groups yeah. looking at it and examining it. I know there's examples in other countries around the world where they've trialled it and where it has worked very well and where the 40-week may become an option that, you know, and, and probably because we're in a global economy, it's something that will come as a global change yeah. rather than a change that will happen uh, just in Ireland. And, and, and ultimately, because people are confused about it, Ultimately, does a, a, an overarching decision have to be made on this or is it up to individual employers? How? It's up to individual employers. Okay. It's, it's like the working from home uh, yeah. agreement. Yeah, there was a, I, I was reading this where we had a, a feature on the show last week about it. That I think it was 3% of employers in Ireland had trialled it 
or tried it. I, I thought it was a high. They were saying it was too low. I thought it was high. Is what kicks in then, you know. Yeah. And, and one employer that's doing it will say, "Will I be able to compete with the guy that's working people harder?" And you know, yeah. it 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 does need a little bit of regulation. I think mm-hmm. if it is going to be introduced, but yeah. that that will require uh, agreements, not just as I say, with between trade unions and employers, but probably yeah. on an international spectrum as well. Okay. And of course, if for recruitment purposes, is if somebody's been offered a job uh, on a four day week basis, maybe for the same pay as a five day week. Mm-hmm. It's going to have implications. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, it is it is out there, but it yeah. needs it needs a lot of uh, thought. But it's going to come. I mean, the, the generations that are coming up now want their time off. Uh, Paul we we is never right. thought we'd have it. No, absolutely. Paul is right, says someone else. Soon we won't be wearing masks in hospitals. I'm not sure if that's somebody from medical profession background. Oh, we still or, have to wear masks. Or not. Um, if politicians can sort out a single item like public toilets, they really do we really need to have ones at all? Well, it's it's not Martin Kenny's fault that there's one public toilet in Sligo. I think they're talking in a more a more general general, uh, a general um, basis there. Um, you're living in cloud cuckoo lands. If you think any factories in the region will have any workers on a four-day week, it simply uh, won't happen. Talking about factories. Yeah. Um, I want to ask because there's questions coming in in relation, and you, you mentioned tourism and, and your husband, Damien, of course, uh, involved in tourism and the so-called price, price gouging that again raised its head over the St. Patrick's weekend, particularly in Dublin. Is that damaging to our economy, our reputation, Paul, yes, or not? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. yeah. It is damaging because everybody wants to know where they can get the best pint or price for a pint. Um, yeah, it puts out it puts out puts out the wrong message, but we we are stuck with all of the overheads that we have. Um, I mean the uh, insurance in particular. So and the uh, wages, uh, our yeah. minimum wage is very good. So uh, there is still price gouging. I would say that. I mean in Dublin in particular, you can't get a hotel for love nor money for a decent price but that's for that's for the uh, hospitality industry and the others to sort out themselves they shouldn't price themselves out of the market yeah. yeah, I think it has been very damaging. You know, it's been damaging to the tourism industry for a, for a lot of people coming to Ireland that find, you know, it's the most expensive place in Europe where to come to. And particularly if you have a big match in Dublin or something like that where they charge huge prices for it. But in fairness, there's still very good value to be got here in the Northwest. You know, we have beautiful scenery. We have, you know, magnificent opportunities for people. And there is good value to be got. Yeah. And I know, you know, our, our tourist offering is something that hopefully and we talked about COVID and people coming out again that hopefully it will be something that can be developed and grown uh, I know particularly you know we've had we had difficulties in the past and threats like fracking in Leitrim and, and gold mining is another one that they're talking about now which yeah. could be very damaging to our Ooh. tourism industry if it if it were to because it's it's a very dirty industry yeah. uh, and very bad for our, our carbon footprint as well oh, yeah. but you know the the, the the reality is that we have got opportunities in all of those places and I think we need to develop and invest more in our regions and make give people opportunities for to come and live and work hopefully a four-day week and get very yeah. good salaries and have a, a, a lower cost of living in a, in a beautiful part of the world and hopefully we can make that happen and that's what we need to be trying to do. Well, during COVID, people did move from Dublin for yeah. rent and for lifestyle. Yeah, and, um, and have remained here. From home, yeah. And they have stayed. I mean, yeah. Sligo is a fabulous place to live. And I'm not from Sligo, I'm from Mayo. Yeah. I've been here long enough. Well, I know some parts of the Northwest, uh, there have been complaints that the price, prices of houses have, have rocketed because of the sheer numbers of people coming from the East Coast to live in the Northwest. It has, it has had an effect and there have been 
shortages of houses as well in the market. It's nationally, I mean, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's it's a national problem. Um, yeah, we need to build more houses everywhere. Yeah, it's it's funny. We were talking about about tea and coffee off here before the break, and there's actually an indirect question about that, which I'll might come to in a moment. But can I ask you about the late late show and the decision of Ryan Tuberty to stand aside? And do do you do you care? At all? Is it on your radar as to who might take over the programme or should the programme just come to a natural end? Or I don't watch television. At all? If somebody suggests that there's something on RTE Player, I might try, but it depends on my broadband. Yeah. But would, you, would, you, would you not watch the news or current affairs where nothing at all live? I read. No. Yeah. I, read. I, um, I would read the Irish Times cover to cover. Um, I would look at maybe the... Um, look at the Financial Times on a Saturday because it's a great magazine. Yeah. Keeps you up to date with lots of international things. Um, sometimes I'll look at the uh, New York Times. Yeah. But, but were you always like that, Paula? Was yeah. Always? <laughs> we never had television when the kids were growing up. Um, they saw a bit when but they were by, in By choice, was it? Yeah. By choice, yeah. 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 So I've no interest in the late, late. Absolutely and did, none. Do they never come back all these years and say, why didn't you let us watch X, Y or Z? Um, no, because they saw enough. They got they got to see it uh, when they were in the minders, and if they wanted to watch, if Paul wanted to watch a football match, he went down the road. Yeah. No, they read. Uh, well, Sarah is still a fantastic reader, um, uh, but and and Paul does read some books. He's far too busy to be reading books at the yeah. moment. Uh, but no, and they were outside playing. All right. So you you have no opinion or none at all. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, I suppose, I suppose just to say, I, I do watch the Little Late Show occasionally, not ever all the time, but um, and I do like Ryan Tuberty. I find him a good presenter, and you know, I, I think he will be a loss to it. Uh, I find the Late Late Show is one of those shows that you know, it's it's a two-hour show, it's quite long, but there's always yeah. some, at least one or two, very good items in it, and that's 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 been my my view of it all down the years since Gay Byrne was there and you know in, in fairness I, I think I think Ryan Tuberty will be a loss to it and I don't know who they'll replace him with yeah but um, it has been a tradition in a lot of households for generations now that people watch the Late Late Show and it would be a pity to see it go right okay so you you don't you couldn't care less who who takes over oh, no it's not going to be me anyway so <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself now uh, any no, ambitions I, don't, I, don't, I know no I don't I don't think so I I look it's it's it is becoming increasingly, increasingly difficult to to find. Inter- I mean, it's. A, I think it's even longer than two hours. I don't watch it to myself. I think it's a three-hour show now. It must be incredibly difficult to find content for a three-hour live television yeah, it starts every at half week. Nine, it's over about half eleven. So yeah, two hours. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Well, look. Can, can um, someone is complaining, and again, we probably want Martin Kenny to do something about it. Or giving out about the 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 tea cart train. Or the tea cart is not on the oh, train. Yeah, the train and when, yeah. it, when is oh, it coming back? And, it, and what yeah. they're saying is they don't miss their coffee, they miss their tea. You yeah. you, you miss the, the, oh, the car, yeah. do oh, you? Oh, God, I really miss that cup of tea on the train. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't travel that much now because we're retired. But when I was going up and down to Dublin, I mean, I think I nearly had a, a, a specific seat on the train. You probably feel the same, Martin, if you, if you, if you take the train. And yeah. I just loved that cup of tea. It broke the journey. And it yeah. was a decent cup of tea. It was Barry's tea. Um, which is my favourite. And um, I really miss it. Now, we now haul our um, backpacks and our flasks and our milk and the whole lot because we need our cup of tea on the train. So I would love to see it coming back without the alcohol. Yeah, isn't it funny what engages the minds of people? We we had loads and loads of texts about this um, 
when Ian and Darren were talking about removing the services. And then there was a plan a couple of weeks ago, I think they were going to bring a vending machine on board. No, oh, oh, good. Horrible, horrible dishwater. That, that wouldn't do it for you, Paul, no. No, no I okay. think, you know, there needs to be a service on the train that people can get refreshments. And, and I would agree, there's no need for alcohol on the train, that's for sure. <laughs> We've had too much of it poisoning people for too long. Yeah. Uh, would, would you use the train to travel up and down? or no, Occasionally. No? The, the problem yeah. we've got is that very often the doll sits very late and the last train back down is 7 o'clock in the evening. So there's nearly no evening you'd be out yeah. there before, before 7 o'clock or, or, or you may think you are going to be but it doesn't happen that way so it's it's not really suitable and that's something that needs to happen as well is we need to have better connection and, and public transport and the train I think is a vital public service that needs oh, to be upgraded particularly for the North West It's always packed Always Always, always. packed yeah. Yeah. yeah which and, is good Woe betide you if you didn't book a seat Yeah Yeah and then of course there are people who don't uh, heed the reserve seat sign as we know on a regular but, but basis as well. That would be great fun to watch at times. Yeah, you can. Nation. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay. We're nearly out of time. Yeah, all sorts of issues people want to know. Uh, cost of living, minimum wage, pay rates and all sorts. And if whether it's time to leave the EU, we haven't time to get all. And people want to know for some reason, Martin Kenny, uh, who's going to win uh, on Sunday? I mean, Sligo and Leitrim. I don't know why they're directing that question care, at you. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Who and they're, they're wondering the best, as if you were the best team because I'm here in Sligo and I represent both counties, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to decide which of them it is going to win. But uh, I'm sure the best team will win, and it will be a good day out.